Welcome to the Seven Hills Podcast. We're here today talking with Joe Fondacaro. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about inflation. I mean, it's been all over the news here. We've been hearing about it, honestly, for a couple of years now. What's going on with inflation, Joe? Yeah. <laughs> Let's just get right down to it. What yeah. is going on with inflation? Yeah, after, after it being kind of a non-factor for 20 years, right? You would say, well, inflation is a, is a risk, and people would say, to what? You know, yeah, it well, just wasn't well, it's, around. It's more than a risk now, right? It's more like a risk, yeah. it's now it's to the point where I go to Kroger and bacon costs nine dollars a pound. Man, what what's the deal? Yeah, no kidding. So inflation, very real part of an economy. One of the most important factors there, really, because inflation drives so much. It drives wages, the cost of things, borrowing costs, so on and so forth. So hugely important factor. It can be a huge risk. It can also be a benefit in some cases. So there's a lot there to unpack with inflation, but for our purposes here, we'll kind of keep it condensed to why inflation and how is it affecting me. So inflation, like so many other things in the economy, inflation is an effect of money supply. So the more dollars there are in the money supply, the less they're worth, right? It's just like supply and demand with anything else. Scarcity creates value. So as the money supply grows, the dollar itself is worth less, so it takes more of them to buy a thing. Okay. So that's what's happened with inflation here, right? Starting with the global financial crisis, with this enormous wave of fiscal stimulus and low interest rates, which stimulates borrowing and spending, an enormous amount of supply came into the US financial system. Then with COVID, emergency measures, low interest rates, fiscal stimulus, emergency forgivable loans, so on and so forth, unleashed an unbelievable amount of liquidity into the system. So now we have way more dollars in the system than we had five years ago. So the dollars are naturally going to be worth less. It's going to take more of them to buy a thing. So bacon, $9 a pound, right? Ground beef, $6 a pound, used to be three. Eggs, of course, there were some scarcity issues there, but eggs costing five, six, seven dollars a dozen more than a gallon of gas. Really? It's crazy. Crazy. So it's the effect of too much money in the money supply right now. So generally, you know, when I hear inflation, yeah. I have like a lot of negative thoughts, man. Right. I'm like, oh my God, everything's gonna cost me more. Yeah. I gotta pay more at the grocery store. I gotta pay more for a gallon of gas. Things I buy around the house cost, you know, yeah. so a lot of negative. Is there a benefit? How do I get a benefit out of inflation? Right. So people think that inflation and interest rates move hand in hand. They don't move hand in hand, but one can have an effect on the other. In the early 2000s and then post-global financial crisis, low to no interest rates produced very low inflation. Now, in this case, high inflation has produced higher interest rates, right, to react to it, okay? So I think what we want to see with inflation is just what we want to see with a lot of other indicators in the economy, like interest rates and borrowing costs, GDP growth, things like that. There's a sweet spot, right? Not too hot, not too cold. As much as we would probably love for the U.S. to grow at 5 or 6% a year, if it did that in one year, it probably is just a recovery year. 
And 3% is more than norm. So we don't want it to overheat. We would like it to be steady. We would like interest rates to be steady. So we always knew or could predict what our borrowing costs were going to be, the kind of interest we would earn on our bank deposits and savings and things like that. So a sweet spot of healthy inflation would be good for us. It would push our wages up more consistently, which I think we desperately need in this country. So with more wages comes much more consumer spending and borrowing, which would increase the prices of things, which would translate to higher corporate earnings, which we would presume would also trickle back down to a little bit higher wages and so on and so forth. You know, So I think a, if there's a sweet spot there with, inter- with inflation, it would be just like it is with interest rates and GDP growth and stock market gains and so on and so forth. Not too hot, not too cold. Is there a correlation, and is that correlation positive or negative, between inflation and, let's say, the value of stocks? There is a correlation, although as it happens with stocks, it's proven over a long period of time. I think one of the things that bothers me about the drive-by financial media, and especially advertisements, is you'll see an advertisement, for instance, for gold, right? Gold, terrific inflation hedge. As soon as inflation spikes, gold is your safety valve, right? Well, that's not necessarily true, first of all. Gold has actually done very poorly, (laughs) except for short periods of time when there's been high inflation. Not if you pay attention to those commercials on TV. No, yeah, the (laughs) 30-minute commercial on TV. But over a long period of time, stocks defend extremely well against inflation, which is to say their rate of return is high enough that after you factor in inflation, your net result is still good. So over a long period of time, we again, we say it again with stocks, long periods of time, but over a long period of time, stocks will protect you really quite well during inflationary periods. And it can help goose growth in earnings and things like that for companies so that you can see some real, when you see earnings growth is where you see the real increase in share value. It's pretty interesting to look at the everything from that macro level, yeah, right? Yeah. So, Joe, given this talk about inflation, how did we get here? How did we get to this inflationary period now? Right, right. Thank COVID. Okay. So, again. <laughs> Finally, we can thank it for Right. Something. Yeah, COVID. COVID brought us here. Really, it was. So, we talked about the money supply, especially global financial crisis. Then again, especially with COVID, Right. Tremendous amount of liquidity injected into the system, fiscal stimulus and emergency bailout packages for companies, for people, small businesses, unleashed a tremendous amount of money into the system. How much? A stat that continues to knock me out of my chair to this day is if you look at the money supply since the US dollar was created, somewhere after the Civil War, 50% of all the US dollars ever put into the U.S. financial system were put in there between spring of 2020 and December of 2021. So in just a little over 18 months, half of the dollars ever created were created in that 18-month stretch. That's unbelievable. It's unbelievable, especially if you let that sink in, how much money we've just printed out of thin air. So that's how we got here. Okay. So wait, back up. Yeah. Why? <laughs> why? Why? Why did right. that, why did that happen? Right, right. So and this this is the danger of the parachute come to the rescue federal legislature is that once the US government starts down this path of quantitative easing 
their fancy word for saying we're making conditions easier for you. We're, we're lowering borrowing costs. We're injecting liquidity into the system. And they do that by buying treasuries. They're essentially just paying institutions for their treasury bonds or they're buying them from themselves, right? So essentially with the injection of all that liquidity and capital into the system in that very short period of time, that's how we got here. And when a, when a government starts down that road, we don't have a whole lot of long-term data to refer to here. But when a government starts doing that, it's very difficult for them to stop doing it. And that is why we occasionally hear the term QE infinity. So we heard quantitative easing back in the global financial crisis, then QE2 when we had to extend it, then quantitative easing again during COVID. Now they're saying QE infinity. Can the government ever stop swooping in and saving the day every time we have a crisis? That's going to be tough for them. So what that tells me, Joe, is during COVID, there was this massive federal bailout, right? Where individuals and companies and organizations were getting all sorts of money from from the federal government just to be able to keep things afloat, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was necessary, right? Otherwise, the consequences would have been tragic for sure. All of that really just creates debt, right? National debt. So, Where's the escape valve? You, you know, I mean, you talked about <laughs> QE infinity, right? Right. Is this really sustainable? Right. And how do we get to a point of moderation that we're not continually relying on a continuous federal bailout versus just more standard economic growth and increases? Yeah, right. That's the million-dollar question, right? How do we do this? And that is the very question that, I always asked myself when inflation really first spiked, when it first became a thing. And you notice how whenever something happens, then there's a word that we don't use often that becomes a buzzword, right? And the big buzzword with inflation was transitory. And so somebody once said, probably Jerome Powell said, inflation, we view it as transitory. So it's like a thunder shower. It's just sort of passing through. Well, anyone who studied it just a tiny little bit would say, if we've introduced that much capital into the money supply, if there's so much debt, and of course, most of the debt is issued by the federal government, who's then buying it from themselves. If we've issued so much debt, then how can we say this is transitory? Like it's a bad winter storm. There's no way we could say it's transitory when we have so much shrinking of the money supply to do. And and the less dollars in the system, the more valuable they are, right? So- The escape hatch, as you said, I think it's one of two forms. I think it's the Fed raising interest rates and being so hawkish, as they like to say, being so hawkish that they have to come as close to crashing the economy without actually crashing it and without causing a really deep recession that's verging on a depression. They have to somehow nimbly manage that by raising interest rates so much that the problem solves itself like we hoped. Easier said than done. I get that both Janet Yellen and Fed Chair Jerome Powell, their number one job is to maintain stability in the markets, and that includes the things they say. But the reality of the situation is way, way easier said than done here. The other way out of it is that, sadly, we go through a crisis. And we let the chips fall where they may. And we let some businesses that 
really shouldn't be given any money to stay alive, that really should kind of die. Well, that really should die, not kind of die. Yeah. That they die. I love to go back to this phrase from Joseph Schumpeter, Austrian economist, really came into his notoriety in the 20s and 30s and 40s when there were so many emerging economies in the world, including the US. If you were an economist back in those days, they were heady times for you to talk about your theories and things like that. But Schumpeter said one thing about capitalism, of which he was a big proponent of. He said, capitalism means turmoil. And I love that phrase because it does. It means competition. It means companies grow. Some die. It's sort of a zero-sum game. Let's face it. There's only so many car buyers in a given year. And if I'm selling more than you, your company is going to struggle. But that's what capitalism is, really. The ugly side of it is that it does throw people out of work and the outcomes aren't fair for everybody. Wish that wasn't the case. But from a company corporate perspective, from an economic perspective, it's better that those weak companies get put under than the government leading them along. And we've just had too much of that life support for companies that really need to go the way of the dodo bird, and it will regulate itself. I think the problem is now, if it crashes, it's going to be worse than if we just let it normally happen. Now it's going to happen because we can't take it anymore. We can't sustain it anymore. To answer your question, I don't think it's sustainable. Yeah. It does seem, to a certain extent, that inflation is somewhat synonymous with growth. It's just a period of maybe hyper growth that that's maybe out of control. Right. And we're trying to bring that down to a manageable level. I think we all expect we're going to pay more for a candy bar at the store than than our parents paid for a candy bar at the <laughs> right. store, right? Yeah. So price growth we kind of expect, but we just don't expect it to grow so rapidly that we can't keep up with it. It's right? true. It's true. And as we heard a lot of companies talk about from after COVID, when things reopened in 2021 and 2022, the demand was sky high. So the demand for not just staples in the economy, like think diapers and mm-hmm. milk and things like that, mm-hmm. but discretionary items like airline tickets, travel, hotels, and all of those things that we buy when, not that we need them, but we want them. The demand was through the ceiling there. People were flush. So I think it will have to take that demand coming down. And I think we'll feel it first in housing when people don't want to refinance or don't want to buy because the mortgage rates are too high. That kind of starts it there because housing is so important. Mm-hmm. But it's going to it's gonna take us a, a big decline in demand for goods and services, especially those discretionaries. We won't see the Amazon truck driving up and down our street 12 times a day, maybe once, you know, and they're delivering diapers to the lady with the newborn across the street. There you go. We're going to see demand have to come down before things get better. So given all that information, how can I use that to my advantage? And and what, what can I take away from this knowledge about inflation and use that to my advantage, maybe in the short term and most definitely in the long term. Yeah, yeah. So stocks in general do well in an inflationary environment, especially the more the underlying company is involved in some sort of hard asset. We do hear a lot of talk about how, well, if inflation is good, you want to buy commodity firms. So companies in metals, mining, basic materials like copper, oil, and natural gas, things like that. And I think to an extent that's true, but 
really any company that has the need for harder assets. So industrials and manufacturing, consumer products and utilities, those companies will generally serve you very well. I love to talk about consumer products because let's face it, if the price of sugar goes up, then you're going to pay more for your two liter of soda at the store. If the price of coffee goes up, naturally the prices at all the coffee shops go up a little bit. We feel that a tiny bit. We don't think about it much. But really, that's a terrific inflation link is food and beverage companies because they will increase their prices instantly to reflect their higher costs on their hard asset or the, or the materials they need to produce mm-hmm. their, their output. So stocks do well there. Debt instruments don't do nearly as well. We've had the bond market be really volatile. I think if interest rates begin to fall, that will help them. But we want to see interest rates falling with inflation cooling before we would rely on debt instruments or bonds and things like that. If the interest on savings accounts, money markets, and CDs remains high, or if inflation keeps creeping up and they keep raising interest rates, then those rates will go up. That's a great proxy for bonds until things change and we can rely on bond values to remain stable a little bit more. But I think for stocks, anything that any stocks in general, but anything that has a reliance on a physical asset, I think is going is going to be your friend over the long haul for inflation. And it's not something that you'll have to fear, really. Well, Joe, this is a fascinating topic (laughs) and certainly one that's hitting home right now for most of us. We can all feel the experience of of living through inflationary times right now. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Seven Hills podcast. For more information or to subscribe, visit Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast feed. For more information about our firm, please visit sevenhillscapitaladvisors.com. This podcast contains general information that is not suitable for every investor and should not be construed as personalized investment advice. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. There is no guarantee that the views and opinions expressed in this podcast will come to pass. Investing in the stock market involves gains and losses and may not be suitable for all investors. Information presented herein is subject to change without notice and should not be considered as a solicitation to buy or sell any security.